Hello and welcome to the China Gaming Podcast. My name is Charlie. I'm recording from the United States with Austin, who is far away in China. And today we're talking about our favorite games of 2021. Now that 2021 has concluded, we are continuing the CGF podcast tradition of talking about our favorite games of the year yep. in our fourth such podcast. How you doing, man? Doing great, or as good as I can be in these troubling times. Uh, you know, a lot of gaming for yeah, me. Yeah, pretty troubling times, right? Nice to talk about something happy. <laughs> Just True that. These are troubling times. It's quite dark over here. Um, but excited to talk about this. I think in this podcast, you'll probably be doing most of the talking since you played substantially more games than I did. Probably like 10 times more games than An I did. An obscene amount so, of games. So um, that's cool. I look forward to learning a lot. Yeah, that's what I'm here to educate gaming spectrum. Yeah. So last year we talked about uh, a bunch of our favorite games of 2020. We talked about uh, Cyberpunk. Uh, we talked about Ghost of Tsushima, a lot of the games which people regarded as the most anticipated games of 2020 and games which turned out to be widely considered to be the best games of the year. Um, this year, I think kind of like you know, 2021, kind of like 2020 was maybe like a little bit of an off year as well, I think due to COVID, you know, a lot of delays, a lot of unexpected things. So not quite a normal year. I would say 2019 was maybe like the last sort of normal year right you agree with that uh yeah a little bit i mean there were still some stellar releases last year but it wasn't the kind of year that i don't know a lot of people were expecting you know some really big releases last year that got delayed um there were some surprise hits at least for me there were and uh, also for me personally it was a great year to start trying to go through my backlog of games you know so and i have yeah. a substantial backlog we both do we sure have a substantial backlog as do most people most people who play video games probably have a massive back backlog whether it's from steam or playstation plus or xbox game pass i mean everyone's just overloaded with um with games right right yeah so that i mean that's cool that's cool to uh get a chance to work through that because i know i know there's a a bunch of really good games that i haven't gotten around to yet which is just kind of you know it it sucks to have them sitting there on my my backlog waiting for that you know chance to get to them yeah yeah i understand what you mean it has been um a good time to dig into the backlog with everything shut down i mean it's kind of strange because for years we talked about buying all these games in steam sales and accruing this massive library. And we joked about this apocalyptic moment in the undetermined future when we would have just like a lot of time to live off of the backlog. And it feels like that has come to fruition in some way as people around the world are getting sick again. People are quarantined. A lot of people are spending way more time inside. A lot of normal outdoor social activities are shut down. You know, in some strange way, it's like, the thing which we joked about years ago has kind of come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, here we are. So let's talk about, um, your favorite games in 2021. Which ones are the first ones that come to mind? I already know. I think what your favorite game of the year is, but, um, maybe we can start there. What was your favorite game? Um, okay. So, I mean, I think I'll start out with outer wilds. Uh, which did not release last year, but the DLC did come out last year. So uh, that may be one of my favorite games of like the past decade or something. I mean, it's yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It, it's really unique. It does some something special. It really kind of does a lot that uh, nothing else has really ever done quite done quite like that before so it's like a time loop type game you know like when i describe it to people i'm like it's groundhog day or majora's mask uh maybe meets if let's keep it breath of zelda so it's like majora's mask meets breath of the wild but if it were brought to you by like interstellar I never played Majora's Mask. Can you describe, is there some sort of like repeating loop 
time element in that game? Yeah, Majora's Mask is actually, it was originally supposed to, I think, be a seven-day time loop, but uh, it was a three-day time loop. So the moon is looming overhead in this world called Termina, which is like some sort of like dark world or something mirroring Hyrule in some ways. Uh, and the moon is getting closer and closer every day until okay. it crushes Termina. So the loop keeps resetting to the beginning of this three-day loop, and you can go through and get items and things that allow you to progress further within that three-day time span. So it's a really interesting game, and I like the concept of time loops quite a bit. But um, actually... Uh, I mean, I would say that there are some differences between Majora's Mask and Outer Wilds. The creator of Outer Wilds, Alex Beecham, had, uh, he compared it uh, when talking to Majora's Mask. He says that the reason for the time loop in Outer Wilds is to create a large-scale dynamic solar system as opposed to Majora's Mask, which is playing around with causality. So, uh, like, a big aspect of Hmm. Outer Wilds is that, like, certain things will only happen at certain times, right? But it's in this full-on solar system that's simulated, right? So, planets are moving around, and things are occurring on different planets and this and that and uh it's really interesting and it's a really ambitious project it was actually his master thesis when he was at usc and he got a few other people to work on it with him and the entire team got picked up by mobius digital which uh was a small studio for mobile game development actually and they uh got funding on fig which is a kick's starter type company specifically for games like psychonauts 2 was funded on there as well as other games and it was later picked up for publishing by annapurna and annapurna has a lot of good games under their belt yeah pretty much everything they publish is good yeah i feel like annapurna and uh devolver digital are like the two best indie publishers sure sure i'd agree with that so uh the uh the alpha build which is what was his master thesis was actually made free on their website. I'm not sure if it's still on there, but you can easily find it. And it's really cool. A lot of the groundwork was really there, but you can see, you know, how all that extra funding came in and really polished it up to just such an awesome game. The lore of the the universe and kind of this story that they've got going on. And, the nature of it too it's it's very non-linear so it's like you get to choose which aspects you're focusing on and how you go about that and okay you kind of pick and choose and unravel the mysteries of the universe and it just really really i don't know has this it evokes this feeling that i feel like nothing else really quite has ever captured anything quite like it and the DLC was released was actually released last year, and it was a really cool DLC that like seamlessly integrated with the uh, large scope of the uh, the main game, and you can access it at any point you want, whether you've beaten the game or you've just started or whatever. And it's a really really large DLC. It took me maybe almost as long as going through the main game itself. But uh, it's very... How long is that? I think I maybe spent maybe around 15 hours in the DLC and maybe 20, 25 hours in the main game. Maybe longer, but yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Um, well, I'm looking on Wikipedia here. It describes the game in interesting terms, which you didn't... I mean, it describes the loop, of course. It says, the game features the player character exploring a solar system stuck in a 22-minute time loop, which ends as the sun goes supernova. Yeah. The player continually repeats this cycle by gaining knowledge, which is retained that can help them on later loops. So it's it's a roguelike, right? Is it fair to describe it like that? Mm, no, because, like, I mean, I guess I wouldn't describe it as a roguelike, though. 
I mean, what kind of game would you describe it as? An exploration or adventure game. I mean, there's a lot of text. There's a lot of reading, right, for the lore and discovering things. It's really an adventure game or exploration game. I mean, or almost like a detective game or something, right? Because you're just exploring and putting these things together. There's no combat or anything like that. So, I mean, it's just exploring. Cool. Well, that sounds neat. I look forward to playing that eventually. It looks like my only means of checking that out for the time being would be on Switch. The game is on PlayStation 4, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, and Windows. So that's cool. A lot of options for people to play it. Yeah. uh, The Switch version, I mean, I'm skeptical about them getting it to run on the Switch, but uh, I mean, because it's like... Oh, actually, yeah. It's not out on Switch yet, apparently. That's still forthcoming. No, it's not. It's been delayed again. It was supposed to be the holidays, and they delayed it again. Well, that's a shame. Do you know how the uh, console versions are? Like, is the PlayStation version good, or is this kind of like a best-to-play-on-Windows game? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, uh, I haven't heard anything bad about the console version, but uh, I mean, I would advise checking it out on PC if you can for any of our listeners or whatever. Like That seems like probably the ideal way to play. Okay, cool. Outer Wilds. Well, um, for me, my favorite game of 2021 is definitely between two games. Um, It's between uh, Hades, which we played at the beginning of 2021 with some friends, and Factorio. And Factorio is not really a 2021 game at all. Although I think it came out in full release in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Right. But anyway, those are the two games which I enjoyed the most this year for sure. There's no question about that. I would say that Hades was probably my favorite of the year. And that is... Hades is probably like top five games I've played in the last five years. Um, really good game, which I was kind of deeply hooked on. Played that for about a hundred and something hours. And then uh, Factorio, kind of an ongoing intermittent addiction for me. I've played that game way more than any other game I have in my entire Steam library. Although that's not a new game, we have... Um, wow. We, you and I have played that game together online for dozens of hours, I would say, at this point. Maybe 15, 20 hours, something like that. Yeah. And we've talked about uh, Factorio in this podcast before, so I'm not going to go into great depth on that game. Uh, for people who are not familiar with what Factorio is, it's a um, interstellar game where you're a human on another planet and you are on a crashed ship and you're developing and harvesting resources on the planet to ensure your survival. And the game ends with you eventually building a rocket and leaving the planet. So it's, it's kind of a bit of a city builder. I mean, technically a factory builder, but it's kind of like Sim City. Right. You know, you're building like grids, plots, uh, lanes for things, moving resources around, processing them, developing them. It's really like a logistics puzzle game, I would say. Um, but the depth of that game has been pretty much unlike anything else I've ever played before. Kind of reminds me of Civilization. Sure, it also has StarCraft vibes, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. StarCraft vibes for sure. Yeah, It has that uh, 1990s visual aesthetic, like this old school, kind of golden era PC visual aesthetic. Uh, who developed Factorio? I can't remember. The developer is called Wooby. I think they're in uh, Europe somewhere, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm. Maybe Eastern Europe? Let me look that up. But I don't think there's anything that uh, those developers have made that is notable outside of Factorio. And I know that it's been a five or six year project. I mean, it was in early access for a very long time. So it's made by Wooby Software, um, which is in the Czech Republic. Interesting. Now, I think you uh, you told me before they had they're like mostly just programmers, right? First and foremost. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, the game is kind of compared to programming, um, and there's a lot made online of, I mean, there are certain companies which, you know, openly solicit you to send your Factorio save file along with job applications. Wow. Um, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, some, some specific programming jobs, I've seen like people online post like, hey, I'm hiring for um, a software engineering position. If you're interested and you play Factorio, then here's how you can apply and send me your Factorio save file and I'll evaluate your Factorio skills. And that's kind of a proxy for how you think about how to solve complex problems. 
So that's a pretty interesting phenomenon. I haven't heard about that before with other games. Yeah, seriously, that's pretty cool though. But when you play the game and you understand like the complexity, especially at like the higher levels, um, which I have, frankly, I haven't even gotten to. I mean, after almost 200 hours of playing the game, I'm kind of just scratching the surface of like mid to late game. Um, but right. for anyone who's interested in Factorio, you can really easily look up uh, like world record speed runs on YouTube. And I think right now the world record is something like two and a half hours or two hours to finish the game, which is wow, ins- which is insane, you know. Um, but yeah. really interesting to see like the planning and process of like rapid development in Factorio and the kind of uh, planning and you know, frankly, intelligence that's required to like build this intricate system of interconnected pieces. Um, so yeah, quite a unique game. Sure feels almost like uh, playing with a Rubik's Cube or something, you know, more than like a conventional game. Yeah, yeah, there's like a logic element to it. Yeah, exactly. It's like a complex puzzle or almost like a really complex train set. I never really played with, tra- I mean, I never really, you know, have made a train or like <laughs> done any of that, but kind of strikes me as like similar to that. Well, you did this past year, didn't you get into uh, like working with guns and stuff? I did, yeah, over the last two years. But um, I'm not. I mean, that's pretty complex, right? Um, yeah. I mean, it's engineering and like mechanics, certainly. So there is like an engineering component to it, but it's not like you're building like a large system. I mean, when you build a rifle, there are like you know 200 parts, right, right, or something like that. And so you do assemble like specific parts of the gun in like a sure orderly sequence. You know, like the lower receiver, the upper receiver, the barrel, and each of those have like many parts that work inside of them. But uh, Factorio is just like a vast, almost limitless, okay. you know, version of that where it's just like the building just goes on forever. Like it never really stops. You never really finish in Factorio. I mean, you do launch the rocket and that's kind of when the credits roll, but that's yeah. really not the end of the game. Um, it's just about building perpetually. You know, the factory must grow is kind of the subtitle or the, right, right. the slogan for the game. It's just perpetual building. Yeah, I'd describe it as like a sandbox style game. Certainly. Yeah, it definitely is like a sandbox style game. No question about that. So yeah, what else you got on your list? Tons and tons of stuff because I played too much. Yeah. For, first of all, right. How many games did you finish in 2021? Let's just start there. Um, well, so in my list, I'm including DLC because some of the game, some of the DLC I played, like the uh, Outer Wilds, was as long as a full game, and some of the games that I played were short indie games that were just a few hours long. So it's like full games and DLC brings it at I think 57. I think. Good lord, man, that is longer a list than I've ever had. Pretty sure. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I feel accomplished, you know? 50 games. That's unbelievable. My gaming's going well. It's funny to think about finishing games as like an achievement, isn't it? Or even just like the achievement system within games. I increasingly have this feeling like, you know, it's almost kind of like a dangerous distraction. As much as I do love games, um, you know, calling game progress an achievement. Right, right. I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) You know, it's like... I kind of have mixed feelings about it as much as deep as my, um, you know, passion for like the art and expression of games is as, as you know, and as listeners know, um, but 57 games, that's incredible. Um, you got to read that list. You, to be fair, you have played, I mean, you've worked in the industry and I'm looking for work in the industry. So, I mean, you know, there is a certain level of like, I mean, actual productivity that can come from gaming and it's studies have shown that it is a healthier form of relaxation. I mean, it uses your brain more than than, say, watching TV or something. So, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole list, but I've highlighted quite a few games that I want to touch upon. I mean, it would take me like 30 minutes to like go through each and every game. So, but, uh, one of my favorites. Yeah, just to add on to what you said there real quick, um, as far as like the real world applicability of playing a lot of games and exposing yourself to games, understanding all the different concepts and themes and so on. I have had the same thing. CGF wasn't started until 2015 when I had already been in the game industry for five years or so. And ha- working in the game industry all day, especially the mobile games industry, 
kind of wore me down yeah. and I felt like it would be rewarding to do something that was purely about joy and enjoyment and had no other, you know, alternative agenda. Right. Um, and that was CGF, you know? And so for many years when I worked in the Chinese game industry in the daytime and then doing CGF as a side project brought me a lot of enjoyment and fulfillment to engage with games in what I felt was such a positive, um, constructive manner, you know, right? because working in the game industry in a lot of ways can sort of crush your, your passion for it, you know? And I guess this can happen with a lot of industries where you're working in ostensibly a field that you really love, right. you know, right. Um, working in it can kind of change it, can kind of change your perception of it. So I do feel grateful that we've had CGF as like a fulfilling side project to um, celebrate the joy of games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's brought me a lot of, you know, fulfillment and joy too. So next up, let's keep it moving. Next up on my list, a surprise hit for me last year and definitely one of my all-time faves, Paradise Killer. So Yeah, that's right. I've heard about this. Is this kind of like um this is one of the mindfuck games, right? Um I mean, no. I would I don't think I'd put it on that list, but uh, it's it's weird. It's just a weird, weird, weird game. So it um it was developed by Kaizen GameWorks. This is their like first title, but it was a UK studio founded by two industry veterans, and it was inspired by like Dan Canropa, Kafka, and H.P. Lovecraft. So it gets like weird and the ost is like kind of city pop so it's like very i don't know it's like walking around like a vaporwave album cover or something and the characters are so weird and zany and there's like cosmic kind of horror stuff going on and i i've described it to people as like an open world vaporwave detective game and it's similar to a, another game, kind of similar to Breath of the Wild, where it's like once you get past the intro to the game, the whole world's open to you, and you can choose to finish the game at any point that you want. You know, like you could just explore and uncover as much as you want, or, you know, you could say, I have enough, I'm done with it, decide to like cast your sentencing on those who you think are guilty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Sounds good. I see that there are some interesting influences for this game. Did you just mention Dangan Danganronpa? Yeah. What is that? That's a Japanese game series? Yeah, it's a Japanese game series. It's kind of like very, I don't know a lot about it, but that's what they cited as one of their influences. I think it's like a Japanese like kind of detective RPG or something. Yeah, it says uh, the series surrounds a group of high school students who are forced into murdering each other by a bear named Monokuma. Okay. Suitably Japanese. <laughs> but um, for Paradise Killer development, this development section on Wikipedia says the game was inspired from a variety of different sources, including H.P. Lovecraft and Danganronpa, as you mentioned, and Franz Kafka, kind of lofty, lofty literary yeah. influence. Yeah, I just said all three of those. Yeah. Uh, I feel like uh, the Lovecraft, you know, influence is really cool, but it's like very, I don't know. I mean, with as fucked up and dark as like you know a huge murder can be the visuals and feeling of the game are so upbeat and poppy you know so it's like a really interesting like contrast i guess that's going on yeah mm -hmm. but i love the characters the writing and stuff it's kind of kind of like a little bit like a visual novel in the sense that you know you're yeah it looks it looks like a visual novel yeah, but you're exploring this world and everything, and the world looks really cool and just feels fun to go around and put the pieces together, and the music really adds to the atmosphere. It's got such a good soundtrack, and you're like kind of building the soundtrack as you go along, because it's like you find like albums as you go around exploring the island of paradise. 
So was it a very long game and what platform did you play it on? I played it on PC. I think it's on Switch as well. And um, I think I did just about everything in the game in about maybe like less than 20 hours, around 15 hours or so, maybe a bit more. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've been primarily playing um, Steam games this year. Is that correct? Yeah. I don't really know why, but yes, predominantly Steam games, a few mobile games as well. But uh, I'll, yeah, I'll well, mention cool. some of the mobile games a little bit later after I get through a couple others. So I would put Outer Wilds, Paradise Killer in my top three for the year. And then maybe the next game, I would say, finishes up like my top three games, which is Inscription, which I don't think you've played yet. Have you? No, I haven't. But I've seen a lot of people talk about that one. Okay, well, I mean, I know you're a big fan of Pony Island, which I think was Daniel Mullen's first commercial game. Yeah. And it was published by uh, Devolver Digital. It takes inspiration from Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, like the gym leaders specifically in Pokemon, and Slavic mythology. So it actually started as a small project at a Ludum Dare game jam number 43 and the theme was sacrifices must be made okay so without going too much into the game i mean because it's the kind of game daniel mullins games are the kind of games you want to kind of go into as blindly as possible but uh without going into too much of the details there you're playing a card game yep and like in magic the gathering or something you have mana or whatever right that you use to to like summon creatures and things right well in this a lot of the creatures require you to sacrifice other creatures summon new ones Mm -hmm. uh and that's one aspect of the sacrifice so and actually in december a free update to the game was added so that i mean because it's a daniel mullins game it's got kind of a his narrative he wants to tell you right but they did it he added a free update to the game in the beta branch of steam that allows the game to be played as an endless roguelike which is kind of cool yep. and uh there was also an arg alternate reality game that concluded after months of you know all of the dedicated fan base and expanded a bit more upon the lore of the game, but it was cool that they had that going on. Yeah, and I, I would recommend for anyone who's playing the game to just go online, maybe after you finish the game, to take a look at you know the all the whole ARG stuff that went on because it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it's a deck building game, right? Right, right. It's like a roguelike deck build is kind of a rough description with horror elements. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to play that one, man. That sounds like it's right up my alley. Dude, it's so good. So good. Uh, it like blows Slay the Spire and Monster Train out of the water for me. Yeah, Monster Train didn't hook me. Definitely not like Slay the Spire. I think the meta game in Slay the Spire is a little bit more interesting than Monster Train. But uh, yeah. Anyway, let's keep keep going through this list, right? One of the other ones... Yeah, so my list, I've got a couple more on here. I mean, I'll just read these off. Okay, I only finished uh, eight games in the whole year. I played a few more games in that. Some of them I didn't finish. Um, Bloodborne was one of those. I played it for, I don't know, 40 hours, and then I went to Guatemala for a month and kind of lost the thread when I got back to the United States. My muscle memory from Bloodborne was kind of shot, so I still plan on finishing that, but I haven't finished that yet. I've also played quite a bit. That was this year? Um, that was 2021, yes. Damn, that should be on my list. But yeah, okay. Yeah, that was in, um, I think, May of 2021 when we were playing that. May and June. So Bloodborne was one I played a lot but didn't finish. Darkest Dungeon is another one of those. Played that game now for four, probably three, four years and still haven't finished it. It's just so damn grueling. Punishing. Yeah, punishing. Um. Darkest Dungeon was another one of those, and let's see, is there anything else that I played a lot which I didn't finish? Uh, the Long Dark is a game I haven't finished that yet. That's on my list. Oh, did you finish that? Uh, I put it as 
finished I haven't played the story mode which I would count as completing it I but I've put like a few dozen hours into survival mode and like survived a few weeks in game so I count oh sur- really a few weeks that's longer than me yeah what a great game I love that game I've just started the story mode recently have you checked that out at all not yet but I've heard really good things it looks cool they just added a new chapter they keep updating it let's take a moment to just talk about how good the long dark is i would love that i think it might be my favorite survival game i think so too um i think it might be the best survival game it is so dedicated just to doing the one specific thing which it does i think it's quite a niche game but man i really love their commitment to you know the vision of the game uh they there are many people on the internet who are like oh can you add multiplayer Sure. And the developers are adamant about not doing that because they believe the game is about isolation and self-reliance and, you know, yeah, these sort of themes which you feel when you play the game. And I just think it's so cool that they're so committed to that and they've had so much success. And the game was in early access for, um, you know, I don't know, three, four years at least. So this has been like a long development project. I think it originally came out in like 2013. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, let's see. Yeah, 2013, it was uh, funding was secured through a successful Kickstarter campaign in October of that year. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. For anyone who doesn't know, Long Dark is a first-person survival game um, where the player assumes the role of a crash-landed bush pilot who must survive the frigid Canadian wilderness after a geomagnetic storm. It's basically like um, a wintry survival game where you're fighting against the cold and starvation and coyotes and so on. I think what sets it apart from the, uh, the other survival games on the market is that there's no, like, you know, what you would describe as your typical base building. Like you kind of have to live with what you can find and you'll exhaust the resources around you. So you're forced to stay on the move. You know, you're not like farming and stuff you know you're not setting up a long-term base so you have to keep going and just survive as long as you can with what you've got right it kind of reminds me a little bit of this war of mine which is the i guess it's based on serbia or something it's like the eastern european survival game where you are trying to survive in a ravaged civil war state right um in that in the long dark, you're never really totally comfortable. You know, you've always got like major problems to deal with. You're cold, you're hungry, you're weak. You know, there's always something. Yeah. And you're just constantly fighting off nature the whole time. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I've got a, a great quote from, uh, I think, uh, the lead or the head of the studio. Yeah. And I mean, it's talking about how you like the, the devs' attitudes to being adamant about committing to things. And, People were frustrated with that, and uh, what is his name? It is uh, Van Lira. Yeah, I I think I know the quote. I'm Canadian. The game is Canadian. Deal with it. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And it says, <laughs> uh, keen to impart a Canadian identity upon the game, having been frustrated with homogenized AAA video games, which sacrificed character for mass market appeal. I can really empathize with that. I feel like every major publisher right. and almost every major developer, they're all sacrificing character for mass market appeal. And we see the same thing in the film industry too. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So it's refreshing. It's ref- just, and it's so good to see them sticking with it and keep improving upon that, that vision without compromise. Yeah. I didn't know that you had played this game so much. I'm surprised to hear that you survived for several weeks. That's impressive. I have... Yeah, I got really into Yeah, I've loved this game, man. What a great game it is. Um, I don't know what else to say. It's it's interesting when you first start, because when you begin to come to grips with like the mechanics of the game, you die in like all these interesting ways. Yeah. I remember the first time I died, I saw a car, and it was like nightfall. So I'm in the car searching for you know food or resources inside the glove box and so on. And then I click on the seat, and it's like, go to sleep, and then I can pick how many hours I sleep. Right. I sleep for eight hours and freeze to death in the car. <laughs> and it's like, you died. It's like, oh, okay, I didn't know it would work like that. And then I respawn, start again, survive for a little bit. And then I see a wolf 
and uh, I, I grab a pebble and I'm like throwing rocks at the wolf and then the wolf <laughs> just comes and mauls me. So it's like, okay, that's another thing you can't do. The game is kind of a series of steps where you learn how the environment can kill you. Yeah, sure, sure. Really cool game. I, I look forward to checking out the story mode. Yeah, I think you'll like it. It's actually higher quality than I thought it would be. I felt like maybe story mode doesn't really have a place in this game. Like, why does the story matter? Because it's really just the player versus nature. Right. But it turns out they actually have put a lot of effort and time into developing the story, which you'll see. Cool, cool. And it also, the story mode really teaches you all the mechanics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way that the sandbox mode does not. The sandbox mode is pretty pretty intense, um, pretty unforgiving. It is. It really is. So what's next on your list? Um, so I want to touch on uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. I got obsessed with that. Oh, yep. And that did get a uh, re-release this year with Doki Doki, or last year, Doki Doki Literature Club Plus, which expands a little bit and adds some extra endings to the game. I went through the original freeware version of the game, which came out in 2017 and got all the endings and delved into every little nook and cranny that the game had to offer. Really? Uh so it, it was I mean it kind of blew up in the month of the of the release it had been downloaded over a million times which is pretty impressive and it kind of skews a lot of ideas of what are like typical tropes in the uh, the visual novel medium and I know you uh, kind of tried it out I think and it didn't click for you or whatever but I mean it's just by the end of the game it really really does some insanely interesting stuff that 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 just kind of kind of messes with you a little bit as the player but it's really cool I believe it that's what everybody says everybody says that it pays off and it's worth it and pretty much everybody also says like yeah the beginning of the game sucks you know I've talked to a few people who really recommended the game strongly and said, man, I've played about, I guess, an hour and a half of it or something like that. And it's just incredibly boring, just visual novel <laughs> nonsense. And I'm just like, yeah, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can get through, you know, three hours or whatever it is of just this like, you know, banal, terrible visual novel dialogue. But who knows? Maybe I'll finish it, um, you know, at some point. We'll see. But interesting to hear it talked about since that's one which hasn't worked for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I really personally loved it. Uh, another one that I loved that that uh, came out at the end of 2020, I think, but I didn't, you know, finish going through everything was the uh, the legends. Ghost of Tsushima Legends, the uh, supernatural add-on, which has four-player co-op and everything. And I know Leon played through it by himself, but it's really designed to be played four-player, especially, like, you can't even play the raids in the game, which are, like, these huge, massive, like, it's a three-chapter part, like, massive mission that you have to go through three chapters back-to-back that can only be played with four players and introduce all kinds of interesting mechanics you couldn't have without, you know, working together with other players. And it's really cool. Yeah. I also know, uh, in just looking up stuff for Ghost of Tsushima and stuff and paying attention to things this year that they, uh, Sucker Punch announced a, a Ghost of Tsushima movie, which could be kind of cool with Chad Stahelski. Directing, who's known for uh, Buffy and John Wick as well. And he actually doubled for Brandon Lee in The Crow after the terrible accident with Brandon Lee. And they use CGI. No kidding. That's the director of the movie? Yeah. That's interesting. What an interesting bit of trivia there. Yeah. Cool. You know, uh, movie adaptations of video games, hard to get my hopes up with those i know i know but um the game is celebrated by everybody I don't, i've never seen anyone say anything critical about ghost of tsushima that game is pretty much unimpeachable as far as you know finding complimentary things to say about it absolutely i love that game so much it's one of the best-selling games uh, for playstation 4 oh yeah i believe that it deserves to be 
And I've got one other game, small game, before I just go through a list of uh, like honorable mentions that I want to put on. Very, very weird one that I want to touch on real quickly. Which one's that? Very, very weird. I just stumbled upon this on Steam, and it's called Luck Be a Landlord. <laughs> and it's, I guess, a roguelike deck builder developed by Trampoline Tales. It's really just a slots game, like playing slots at the casino, but it has this interesting mechanic where you're basically designing the slots machine that's in your apartment that you use to pay your rent to your landlord or you get evicted. That's the whole point of the game, to pay off all of your rent in time. And you do so with, like, there's all these, like, synergies between different things. And it's just really interesting. There's regular updates with plans to bring the game to mobile. And I just jump into it from time to time and play a bit. It's really addictive. When I got it, I just played until, like, maybe 6 or 7 in the morning or something. Wow. Which sounds really stupid. It's just like, I mean, playing slots, you know, it's fucking addictive, you know? Yeah, it's a free game also, huh? No, it's not a free game. It's, uh, it's like a $5 game. It's cheap. So Okay, interesting. I see it here on Steam. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like a mobile game. It looks like, um, what are those games? Like a tap, what, like a passive tapping game? It looks like one of those. Oh, no, no, no. It's not like an idle game. It's not like that. It's a... Uh, yeah, like an idle. It looks like an idle clicker. Yeah, but it's not. There's like uh, there's a lot of strategy to the uh, like. I mean, it, it is very much a deck building. It's a lot of strategy to how you design the slot machine. Cool. It's not easy. It took me quite a while to beat like the first level, which is like beating it, and then you go up in difficulty. So yeah, but really cool game. Just kind of got me addicted, and sometimes I want something that's kind of just straightforward and you know simple fun like that you know so yeah how did you find a game like this Uh, i think it popped up in my uh just in my steam discovery queue or whatever you know occasionally i'll go through that and just look for undiscovered games and stuff and i don't know it had like really good reviews so i just kept my eye on it and i picked it up in one of those sales and just kind of fell in love with it okay cool interesting yeah so any other games you want to touch on yeah i've just got a few more that i finished um i don't know that any of these are like real standout games that i want to talk about at great length but uh, most of them are shorter games i tend to play shorter games with the exception of uh yeah hades and factorio which i play for hundreds of hours um but i finished a minute which is the Devolver Digital short game, kind of Zelda-inspired. It's a cool game. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, 1980X by Highbit Studios, um, which is uh, like a throwback, retro, uh, kind of 16-bit era-looking game. Yeah. Mostly a story-based game. Pretty cool. You can finish that in about two hours. Played uh, Sayonara Wild Hearts by Simogo, hmm. which was a really cool uh, rhythm game. Okay. Kind of like... I don't know how it would just kind of gay ish, <laughs> you know, it's like pop music and kind of obnoxious and like super like colorful Space channel five. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I think that's a really good comparison. It is like channel five. It's like that, uh, that dreamcast game. Cool. Um, I also played a short hike by Adam grew short hike is really cool game. I think that one's about 90 minutes or two hours or so, but, um, really refreshing, you know, fun, just sort of, Cool Escape, which is about the length of a film, I would say. Cool. Short Hike is pretty cool. Um, I played uh, Parappa the Rappa. Right. Um, the re- the remaster on PlayStation 4. Hell yeah. And first time finishing that game, you know, I played it, I think I had it on PlayStation 1, like way back in the day, in like the 90s. But I don't think I ever finished it. I think that it, it got kind of difficult at like later stages and got like a little bit frustrating. But I stuck with it and finished it. Right. And I also got Parappa the Rapper 2 which is also remastered on PlayStation 4. And um, that's good, but I prefer the original. Nice. And then the last one is uh, Big Ocean Wide Jacket by Turnfollow, which is another small indie game. Yeah, pretty cool game. Um, What a cool name. You know, it was okay, to be honest. I mean, this is one that I wouldn't really recommend that strongly. No, I mean the name. The name's cool. Yeah, Wide Ocean Big Jacket. Um, It's it's a story about 13-year-old teens 
who begin dating. It's kind of like a coming of age, sort of sappy, like adolescent love story told through an indie game, which looks like a mobile game. So yeah, Wide Ocean Big Jacket, not one that I would enthusiastically recommend, but it was okay. Cool. About an hour too long. Once again, pretty short. Right on. And yeah, that's my whole list for the entire year. So cool. Um, yeah, I guess it was a typical year in that you know it's mostly a few small indie games which I played, and then a few, like a two or three, you know, completely vast, wide open. You can spend dozens or hundreds of hours in this game, sort of games. Right. Right. Cool. Cool. Uh, okay, I got a couple extra to mention. Can't go through the whole list, but uh. I played through a few really awesome mobile games that are uh, free. So Underhand and Void Tyrant, which are like card card games that are pretty cool. They're very interesting. I recommend those. Data Wing, which is kind of like an uh, interesting take on kind of like that micro machine style overhead racing. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I did uh, Samaros, the entire series. I believe the third one is on mobile, and I I just really like Amanita Design. Uh, I mean, they're really enjoyable. I like the soundtracks by Thomas Dvorak, and the artwork is just really enjoyable. So those were fun. And then I uh, played a free co-op game that was kind of like fatal frame and i played that with leon called aeronoctosis very cool i think i introduced a couple of these to you which was dwarf romantic and islanders which are kind of like puzzle like city builders i guess and they're really yeah i played islanders i liked islanders yeah it's very kind of zen but cool 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 game I finally went through and finished West Dorado this year, which is an awesome, like, Western open world kind of game where you're tracking down uh, this killer. I think he killed your family in front of you or something at the beginning of the game. Very cool game because it's super open-ended about how you go about things. And I played a uh, these really really cool games uh that are kind of what i would describe as like incredibly vaporwave broken reality and umurangi generation broken reality is like just a very nostalgic vaporwave type uh maybe adventure game kind of remind me a little of maybe say mist or something and umurangi generation is actually like a photography game and it's got, like, a lot to do with actual real-world photography. The further you get in the game, you're dealing with, you know, aperture and shutter speed and different lens types and all kinds of things. And you just kind of are given this level to go around with specific photography objectives that you have to figure out what they are and how to get those photos. Interesting, unique game. Okay. Cool soundtrack, too. Yeah, and those are the highlights for my year. Nice. Well, that's a lot of highlights, man. Um, Outer Wilds, uh, Paradise Killer, Inscription, Long Dark, Doki Doki, Literature Club, Ghost of Tsushima, Legends, Luck Be a Landlord, Islanders, Westerado, Broken Reality. Sounds cool. I mean, a lot of them uh, are games which I'm interested in and haven't heard of, especially Broken Reality. Looking at um, some images of that, that looks very cool. I like the aesthetic. 3D parody of the internet. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So now that we've pretty much wrapped up 2021, how do you feel about 2022? Is there anything in particular which you're really looking forward to this year? Um, so I'm still working on my backlog. I'm actually playing Spec Ops the line right now, which is pretty awesome and happy to finally get around to that. Oh, have you played that game before? Never played it before. It's been in my library for years. So, really enjoying that. Oh, it's such a good game. So good. And um still don't think I'm going to get a PS One of the best stories of any first-person shooter. Dude, it's so good. Um just like maybe a couple hours in and it's really good. High production values, excellent presentation, good gunplay, pretty good AI. It's just stellar game really awesome yeah um i don't know if i'm gonna get a ps5 this year um 
think Breath of the Wild 2 is coming out this year. Advance yep. Wars remake I'll probably get on. Um, but not a lot of standouts, man. I like. I think I'm going to keep working on that backlog. Yep. And then there's a few smaller titles I'm I'm interested in, but I mean, after Cyberpunk, it's kind of like, hey man, let's just tone that hype down. Wait and see, you know. Yeah, it's crazy how the the psychological effect of the Cyberpunk aftermath is pretty substantial, you know? It feels like we've been disappointed before, for sure, but something unique about Cyberpunk, man, that one really stung. Yeah really did i will tell you though i'm kind of i think that um elden ring looks really cool yeah yeah i have no interest in like lord of the rings and i'm not much of like a souls person in general but just from the gameplay footage they've shown the game looks really cool that seems like one of the most anticipated games of the year and i think that's scheduled to come out pretty soon too maybe within the next month or two i think it's this month end of this month or maybe early next month so yeah that does look absolutely stellar uh but i mean i don't know if i'm gonna get it on launch i might wait a little while yeah me too i feel the same way as you do about playstation 5 i feel no rush to get into that um it seems like an expense and a distraction which i don't really need right now i've already got more games than i have time to play why would i add more right and the playstation 5 library just doesn't seem that you know lucrative to me at this point i bet in probably like three years or so it will have a lot of interesting offerings and there'd be a lot of games to play and they won't be so expensive. And right. I feel like that'll be the time to maybe take that step, but not anywhere in the near future for me. True that. True that. Cool. Well, good year of gaming for, for me. And, uh, you had some good gaming in the, the gaming that you did have going on. So that's good. Yeah, cool. Anything else to mention about uh, games of 2021 or 2022 before we wrap this up? No, no. I mean, I did just finish uh, Mortal Kombat Aftermath, but that's technically this year, but that was fucking dope. It was a cool addition. So that's like a new story DLC? Yeah, yeah. I think it had better production values and better writing than the story and the the original one with just better voice acting. Everything's just better. And it's still campy and fun, but like like a lot of over-the-top action and violence that was just an awesome romp, dude, through the Mortal Kombat universe. Right. That makes sense, man. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. Everyone who's listening to this, um, hope 2021 was a good year for you in terms of playing games. And if you're looking for something to check out, there are plenty of games uh, mentioned in this podcast. If you check the show notes, there will be a list of pretty much all of these games. And um, yeah, happy new year. Hope you have a, a good 2022. Over and out. See you.